Welcome back to the Revealed Thine Truth podcast. As always, uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at R Thine Truth Show, as well as the update we are on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and we'll be on many more soon. We are also on Anchor. So let's get into this. On the third episode, we will be covering David Berkowitz, aka the son of Sam, and the forty-four caliber killer. So, without further ado, let's jump right into it. But before I do, I want to. Say, I hope you are enjoying your weekend. I hope your Sunday is going well. Spending time with family, friends, etc. Hopefully, at a social, socially, socially acceptable distance, of course. And yeah, let's dive into it. David Bergwitz was born Richard David Falco in Brooklyn. New York on June 1st, 1953. His mother, Elizabeth Betty Broder, grew up as part of an of an impoverished Jewish family. She married Tony Falco, an Italian-American, in 1936. After a marriage of less than four years, Tony Falco left her for another woman. In 1950, Broder started a relationship with a married man named Joseph Kinnaman. Three years later, she became pregnant with a child to whom she chose to give the surname Falco. And within a few days of Richard's birth, Broder gave the child away. Although her reasons for doing so are unknown, later writers have summarised that Kinnaman threatened to abandon her if she kept the baby and used his name. (coughs) The infant boy was adopted by Pearl and Nathan Berkowitz of the Bronx. The Jewish-American couple were hardware store retailers of modest means, and childless in middle age. They reversed the order of the boy's first and middle names and gave him their own surname, raising young David Richard Berkowitz as their only child. Journalist John Vincent Sanders wrote that Berkowitz's childhood was somewhat troubled. Although of above average intelligence, He lost interest in learning at an early age and became infatuated with petty larceny and starting fires. Which which doesn't sound like a good venture. Neighbours and relatives would recall Berkowitz as difficult, spoiled and a bully. His adoptive parents consulted at least one psychotherapist due to his misconduct, but his misbehaviour never resulted 
in a legal intervention or serious mention in his school records. Berkowitz's adoptive mother died of breast cancer when he was 14 years old and his home life became strained during later years, particularly because he disliked his adoptive father's second wife. At the age of 17 in 1971, he joined the United States Army and served in the United States and South Korea. <coughs> After an honourable discharge in 1974, he located his birth mother, Betty, after a few visits. She disclosed the details of his birth. The news greatly disturbed Berkowitz, and he was particularly distraught by the array of reluctant father figures. Forensic anthropologist Elliot Layton described Berkowitz's discovery of his adoption and birth details as the primary crisis of his life, a revelation that shattered his sense of identity. His communication with his birth mother later lapsed, but for a time he remained in communication <coughs> with his half-sister, Rosalind. He subsequently had several non-professional jobs, and at the time of his arrest, he was working as a letter sorter for the United States Postal Service. <coughs> so... He was dealt a bad hand. His mother, for you know, other other reasons not known, gave him gave him up for adoption. And you know, he's been trouble not knowing his identity. So, in one sense, I can understand that. But then, but for him to go on and do what he did, there's no excuse for what he did. <coughs> so crimes begin. During the mid 1970s, Berkowitz started to commit violent crimes. He bungled the first attempt at murder using a knife, then switched to a handgun and began. A lengthy crime spree throughout the New York boroughs of the Bronx, Queens and Brooklyn. <coughs> he sought young female victims. He was purportedly most attracted to women with long, dark, wavy hair. All but one of the crime sites involved two victims. He infamously committed some of his attacks while the women sat with boyfriends in parked cars. He exhibited an enduring enjoyment of his activities, often returning to the scenes of his crimes. <coughs> Michelle Foreman Stabbing Berkowitz claimed that he committed his first attack on Christmas Eve 1975 when he used a hunting knife to stab two women. One alleged victim was never identified by police, but the other was teenager Michelle Foreman, 
whose injuries were serious enough for her to be hospitalised. Berkowitz was not suspected of these crimes, and soon afterward he relocated to an apartment in, Yo in Yonkers, New York, just north of the New York City border. Donna Luria and Jody Valenti's shooting. The first shooting attributed to the son of Sam occurred in the Pelham Bay area of the Bronx. At about 1.10am on July 29th, 1976, Donna Loria, 18, and her friend Jody Valenti, <coughs> Valenti, sorry, 19, were sitting in in Valenti's odd Oldsmobile, discussing their evening at Peachtree, a new Rosselle discotheque. Loria opened the car door to leave and noticed a man quickly approaching the car. Startled and angered by the man's sudden appearance, she said, Now what is this? The man produced a pistol from the paper bag that he carried and crouched. He braced one elbow on his knee, aimed his weapon with both hands and fired. Luria was struck by one bullet that killed her instantly. Valenti was shot in her thigh and a third bullet missed both women. The shooter turned and walked away quickly. Valenti survived her injuries and said that she did not recognise the killer. She described him as a white male in his 30s with a fair complexion, about 5 foot 9, tall and weighing about 160 pounds. His hair was short, dark and curly in a mod style. This description was repeated by Loria's father who claimed to have, been, to have seen a similar man sitting in a yellow compact car parked nearby. <coughs> Neighbours gave corroborating reports to police that an unfamiliar yellow compact car had been cruising the area for hours before the shooting. Carl Dinaro and Rosemary Keenan shooting. On October 23, 1976, a similar shooting occurred in a secluded residential area of Flushing, Queens, next to Bone Park. Carl Dinaro, 20, and Rosemary Keenan, 18, were sitting in Keenan's parked car when the windows suddenly shattered. I felt the car exploded. Dinaro said later, Keenan quickly started the car and sped away for help. The panicked couple did not realise that someone had been shooting at them. Even though Dinaro was bleeding from a bullet wound to his head, Keenan had only superficial injuries from the broken glass but Dinaro eventually needed a metal plate to replace a portion of his skull. Neither victim saw the attacker. Police determined that the bullets embedded in Keenan's car were 44 calibre, but they were so damaged and 
deformed that they thought it unlikely that they could ever be linked to a particular weapon. Denaro had shoulder-length hair and police later speculated that the shooter had mistaken him for a woman. Keenan's father was a 20-year veteran police detective of the New York City Police Department, causing an intense investigation. As with the Loria Valenti shooting, however, there seemed not to be any motive for the shooting and police made little progress with the case. Many details of the Denaro Keenan shooting were very similar to the Loria Valenti case, but police did not initially associate them, partly because the shootings occurred in different boroughs and were investigated by different local departments, local police precincts. <coughs> Donna DeMarcy and Joanne Lumino shooting. Donna DeMarcy, 16, and Joanne Lumino, 18, walked home from a movie soon after midnight on November 27, 1976. They were chatting on the porch of Lumino's home in Belarus, Queens. When a, when a man dressed in military fatigues, who also seemed to be in his early 20s, approached them and began to ask directions. In a high-pitched voice, he said, Can you tell me how to get? But then quickly produced a revolver. He shot each of the victims once, and as they fell to the ground, injured, he fired several more times striking the apartment building before running away. A neighbour heard the gunshots, rushed out of the apartment building and saw a blonde man rush by gripping a pistol in his left hand. Demasi had been shot in the neck but the wound was not life threatening. Domino was hit in the back of the back and hospitalised in serious condition. <coughs> she was ultimately rendered paraplegic. Christine Dufund and John Dell, John Dell shooting. During the early morning of January 30th, 1977, Christine Trund, 26, and her fiancé, John Dale, 30, were sitting in Dale's car near the Forest Hills El Lure Station in Queens, preparing to drive to a dance hall after seeing the movie Rocky. Three gunshots penetrated the car at about, at about 12.40am. In a panic, Dale drove away for help. He suffered minor superficial injuries, but Frond was shot twice and died several hours later at the hospital. Neither victim had seen the attacker. Police made the first public acknowledgement that the Frond deal shooting was similar to earlier incidents and that the crimes might be associated. 
all the victims had been struck with 44 caliber bullets and the shootings seemed to target young women with long dark hair. NYPD Sergeant Richard Conlon stated that police were, le- were leaning towards a connection in all these cases. Composite, ge- composite sketches were released of the black-haired Lamia Valenti shooter and the blonde Lomino de Marce shooter, and Conlon noted that police were looking for multiple suspects, not just one. Virginia Foscuitium shooting. At about 7.30pm on March 8th, 1977, Columbia University student Virginia Foscuitium, 19, was walking home from school when she was confronted by an armed man. She lived about a block from where Christine Frond was shot. In a desperate move to defend herself, Oscar Itchian lifted her textbox between herself and her killer, but the makeshift shield was penetrated, the bullet striking her head and killing her. Press and Publicity In a March 10, 1977 press conference, NYPD officials and New York City Mayor Abraham Abraham Beam declared that the same 44 Bulldog revolver had fired the shots that killed Loria and Bosker Etienne. Official documents were later revealed, however, saying that the police strongly suspected that the same 44 Bulldog had been used in the shootings, but that the evidence was actually inconclusive. <clears throat> I find that a bit suspicious. In of itself. How can the how can the evidence evidence be inconclusive? That doesn't make sense. Obviously, you know, I'm not you know, I don't file reports, I I'm not a police officer, so I don't know how the system works. But It, it just seems odd to me. You know, uh, let me know what you think. You know, the crimes were discussed by the local media virtually every day. Circulation increased dramatically for the New York Post and the Daily News. Newspapers with graphic crime reporting and commentary. Foreign media featured many of the reports as well, including front-page articles of newspapers such as the Vatican's El Observatorio Romano, the Hebrew newspaper Mariv, and the Soviet Izvestia. Crimes continue. Alex, bear with me one moment. Well, that's better. At about three, sorry, Alexander Esau and Valentina 
Soriani shooting. At about 3am on April 17th, 1977, Alexander F. 20 and Valentina Suriani, 18, were sitting in Suriani's car near her home in the Bronx, only a few a few blocks from the scene of the Laurier Valenti shooting. When each shot one when each was shot twice, Suriani died at the scene and SU died in the hospital several hours later without being able to describe his attackers. Police said that the weapon used for the crime was the same as the one which they had suspected in the earlier shootings. Crime scene letters. Son of Sam letter. Police discovered a handwritten letter near the bodies of Esau and Suriani, written mostly in block capitals, with a few lowercase letters and addressed to NYPD Captain Joseph Borelli. With this letter, Berkowitz revealed the name Son of Sam for the first time. The press had previously dubbed the killer the 44 caliber killer because of, because of his weapon of choice. The letter was initially withheld from the public, but some of its contents were revealed to the press and the name Son of Sam quickly replaced the old name. The letter expressed the killer's determination to continue his work and taunted police for their fruitless efforts to capture him. In full, with misspellings intact, the letter read, I am deeply hurt by your calling me a Remen hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam, I am a little brat, when Father Sam gets drunk he gets mean. He beats his family, sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house, other times he locks me in the, gar- in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood, go out and kill. Commands Father Sam behind our house, some rest, mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained, just outsider, just bones now, Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic too, I can't get out but I look at, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by, I feel like an outsider, I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention or police. Shoot me first, shoot the killed or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Uh, me, hoot, it hurts. It hurts, sonny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets, 
looking for their game, Tasty Meat. The women of Queens are the prettiest of all, and must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt. My life, blood for Papa, Mr. Borelli, sir. I don't want to kill anyone, kill anymore, no, sir. No more, but I must. Honour thy thought, honour thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's. To the people of Queens, I love you and I uh, want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Please, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back to be interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang, uh, yours in murder, Mr. Monster. At the time, police speculated that the letter writer might be familiar with Scottish English. The phrase, me hoot, it hurts, sonny boy, was taken as a Scottish accented version of my heart, it hurts, sonny boy. <coughs> and the police also hypothesised that the suitor blamed a dark-haired nurse for his father's death. Due to the too many heart attacks phrase and the facts that Luria was a medical technician and Valenti was studying to be a nurse. The killer's unusual attitude towards the police and the media received widespread scrutiny. Psychologists observed that many serial killers gain gratification by eluding pursuers and observers. The feeling of control of media, law enforcement and even entire populations provides a source of social power for them. After consulting with several psychiatrists, police released a psychological profile of their suspect on May 26, 1977. He was described as neurotic and probably suffering from paranoid schizophrenia and believed himself to be a victim of demonic possession. Letter to Jimmy Bressing On May 30th, 1977, Daily News columnist, columnist Jimmy, Jimmy Bressing received a handwritten letter from someone who claimed to be the <coughs> 44 caliber shooter. The letter was postmarked early that same day in Englewood, New Jersey, on the reverse of the envelope. Neatly handprinted in four precisely centered lines were the words blood and family. Darkness and death, absolute depravity. 44. The letter inside read Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit. Stale wine, your wine and blood. Hello from the sewers of NYC. Rich swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. JB, I'm just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 killings. 
I also want to tell you that I read your column daily and I find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 20th, for July 29th? Question, Mark. You, you can forget about me if you like because I don't care for publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Luria and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad. And he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill. Of blood. Mr. Bridling, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me for a while that I went to sleep. No, rather I'm still here. Like a spirit roaming the nights. Thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest. Anxious to please Sam. I love my work now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday, or perhaps I will be blown away by the cops with smoking 38s. Whatever, if I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam, if you like, and I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say, I shall say farewell and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you will see my handiwork at the next job. Remember, Miss Luria, thank you in their blood and from the gutter. Sam's Creation 44, here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by NCIC, the Duke of Death, the Wicked King, Ricker, the 22 Disciples of Hell, John Wheatles, rapist and suffocator of young girls. P.S. Please inform all the, all the detectives working the slaying to remain. P.S. J.B. Please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them best of luck. Keep them digging. Drive on. Think positive. Get off your butts. Knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture... I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money, son of Sam. <coughs> Underneath the son of Sam was a logo or sketch that combined several symbols. The writer's question, what will you have for July 29, was considered an ominous threat. July 29 would be the anniversary of the first 44 caliber shooting. Dressling, notice please. Dressling, <coughs> Dressling, notified police, sorry, who thought, that who thought that the letter was probably from someone with the knowledge of the shootings. The Dressling letter was, sophistic was sophisticated in its wording and presentation especially when compared to the crudely written first letter, and police suspected that it might have been created in an art studio or similar professional location by someone with expertise in printing, calligraphy or graphic design. The unusual writing caused the police to speculate that the killer was a comic letterer and they asked staff members of DC Comics whether they recognised the lettering. The Wicked King, 
Ricker reference caused police to arrange a private screening of the Ricker Man in 1973 horror movie. The New York Daily News published the letter a week a week later, after agreeing with police to withhold portions of the text, and Breslin urged the killer to surrender himself. The dramatic article made that day's paper the highest-selling edition of the Daily News to date. More than 1.1 million copies were sold. Police received thousands of tips based on references in the publicised portions of the letter, all of which proved, proved useless. All the shooting victims to date had long dark hair, and thousands of women in New York acquired short cuts or brightly coloured eyes, and beauty supply stores had trouble meeting the, the demand for wigs. Sal Lupo and Judy Placido shootings on June 26, 1977, there was another shooting. Saul Lupo, 20, and Judy Placido, 17, had left the Elephus discotheque in Bayside, Queens, and were sitting in Lupo's parked car at about 3am. When three gunshots blasted through the vehicle, Lupo was wounded in the right forearm, while Placido was shot in the right temple, shoulder and back of the neck, but both victims survived their injuries. Lupo told the police that the young couple had been discussing the son of Sam case only moments before the shooting. Neither Lupo nor Placido had seen the attacker, but two witnesses reported a tall dark-haired man in a leather suit fleeing from the area. One claimed to see him leave in a car and even supplied a partial license plate number. Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violante shooting. The first anniversary of the initial 44 caliber shootings was approaching, and police established a sizable dragnet that emphasized past hunting grounds in Queens and the Bronx. However, the next and final 44 shooting occurred in Brooklyn. Early on July 31st, 1977, Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violente, both 20 years old, were in Violente's car, which was parked under a streetlight near a city park in the neighborhood of Bath Beach. They were kissing when a man approached within three feet of the passenger side of Violante's car and fired four rounds into the car, striking both victims in the head before he escaped into the park. Violante lost one of his, of his eyes. Moskowitz died from her injuries. That night, Detective John Faratico was awakened at home and told to report to the 10th Homicide Division at the 60th Precinct Station House in Coney Island. He was given two weeks to work on the Moskowitz and Violante case as a normal murder investigation. If it could not be solved in that time frame, it was to be given to the Son of Sam Task Force. Suspicion and Capture I know there's um, 
I know that there's a lot of information being thrown at you, but... <clears throat> but I will, um... But at the end of it, I'll, if you wanna, I will tell you the name of it yourself and you can either read, it, read up on it even further, even read it up on it on your own, in your own time, or... You know, I'm trying to, but, you know, I'm trying to get through all of it if I can. So I hope you're enjoying the information. So, suspicion and capture. Local resident... Cassidia Davis was walking her dog at the scene of the Moskowitz and Violente shooting when, the, when she saw patrol officer Michael Cataneo ticketing a car that was parked near a fire hydrant. Moments after the traffic police had left, a young man walked past her from the area of the car and he seemed to study her with some interest. Davis felt concerned because he was wielding in his hand some kind of dark object. She ran to her home only to hear shots fired behind her in the street. Davis remained silent about this experience for four days until she finally contacted the police, who closely checked every car that had been ticketed in that in the area that night. Berkowitz, 1970 four-door yellow Ford Galaxy, was among the cars that they investigated. On August 9th, 1977, NYPD detective James Justice telephoned Yonkers police to ask them to schedule an interview with Berkowitz. The Yonkers police dispatcher who first took Justice call was Reed Carr, the daughter of Sam Carr and sister of Berkowitz alleged Colts Confederates John and Michael Carr. Justice asked the Yonkers police for some help tracking down Berkowitz. According to Mike Novotny, a sergeant at the Yonkers Police Department, the Yonkers police had their own suspicions about Berkowitz in connection with other strange crimes in Yonkers. Crimes that they saw referred to in one of the Son of Sam letters. Yonkers investigation investigators even told the New York detective that the Berkowitz might just be the Son of Sam. The next day, August 10th, 1977, police investigated Berkowitz's car that was parked on the street outside his apartment building at 35 Pine Street in Yonkers. They saw a, a rifle in the back seat, searched the car and found a duffel bag filled with ammunition, maps of the crime scenes and a threatening letter addressed to Inspector Timothy Dowd of the Omega Task Force. Police decided to wait for Berkowitz to leave the apartment rather, rather than risk a violent encounter in the building's narrow hallway. They also waited to obtain a search warrant for the apartment. Worried that the search might be a challenge in court, the initial search of the vehicle was based on the rifle that was visible in the back seat. Although a possession of such a rifle was legal in New York State, 
and required no special permit, the warrant still had not arrived when burglars exited the apartment building at about 10pm and entered his car. <coughs> Detective John Farotico approached the driver's side of the car. Farotico pointed his gun close to Berkowitz's temple, while Detective Sergeant William Gardella pointed his gun from the passenger's side. A paper bag containing a 44 caliber Bulldog revolver of the type that was ident- identified in ballistics test was found next to Berkowitz in the car. Berkowitz then stated flatly, Well, you got me, as described in Son of Sam, 1981, by Lawrence D. Krausner. Detective Fratico remembered the big, inexplicable smile on the man's face. Now that I've got you, Detective Detective Fratico said to the suspect, Who have I got? You know, the man said in... What the, the detective remembered was a soft, almost sweet voice. No, I don't. You tell me. The man turned his head and said, I'm Sam. You're Sam? Sam who? Sam David Berkowitz. An alternative version claimed that Berkowitz's first words were reported to be, Well, you got me. How come it took you such a long time? Detective John... Farotico was officially credited by the New York City Police Department and as the arresting officer of the son of Sam. <coughs> Police searched Department 7E and found it in dis- disarray. With satanic graffiti on the walls, they also found diaries that he had kept since he was 21 years old. Three stenographs, notebooks, Early, nearly all full, wherein Berkowitz meticulously noted hundreds of arsons that he claimed to have set throughout New York City. Some sources allege that his number might be over 1,400. Soon after all, soon after Berkowitz's arrest, the address of the building was changed from 35 Pine Street to 42 Pine Street in an attempt to end its notoriety. After the arrest, Berkowitz was briefly held in a Yonkers police station before being transported directly to the 60th precinct in Coney Island, where the detective task force was located. At about 1am, Mayor Abraham Beam arrived to see the suspect personally. After a brief and wordless encounter, he announced to the media, the people of the city of New York can rest easy because of the fact that the police have captured a man whom they believe to be the son of Sam. Confession Berkowitz was interrogated for about 30 minutes in the early morning of August 11, 1977. He quickly confessed to the shootings and expressed an interest in pleading guilty. The investigation was led by John Keenan, who took the confession. During questioning, Berkowitz claimed that his neighbour's dog was one of the reasons that he killed, stating that the dog demanded the blood of pretty young girls.
He said that the Sam mentioned in his first letter was his former neighbour Sam Carr. Berkowitz claimed that Harvey Carr's black Labrador retriever was possessed by an ancient demon and, it, and, that, it, and that it issued irresistible commands that Berkowitz must kill. A few weeks later, a few weeks after sorry, his arrest and confession, Berkowitz was permitted to communicate with the press. In a, in a letter to the New York Post dated September 19th, 1977, Berkowitz alluded to his original story of demonic possession, demonic possession, but closed with a warning that had been interpreted by some investigators as an admission of criminal, criminal accomplices. There are other sons out there. God help the world. Sentencing. Three separate mental health examinations determined that Berkowitz was competent to stand trial. Despite this, defence lawyers advised Berkowitz to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. But Berkowitz refused. He appeared calm in court on May 8, 1978, as he pleaded guilty to all of the shootings. At his sentencing two weeks later, Berkowitz caused an uproar when he attempted to jump out of a window on the, of the seventh floor courtroom. After he was restrained, he repeatedly chanted, Stacy was a whore and shouted, I'd kill her again, I'd kill them all again. The court ordered another psychiatric examination before sentencing could proceed. During the evaluation, Berkowitz drew a sketch of a jailed man surrounded by numerous walls. At the bottom, he wrote, I am not well, not, I am not well, not well at all. Nonetheless, Berkowitz was again found competent to stand trial. That doesn't make sense. He's clearly not competent, but, you know, anyway, on June 12, 1978, Berkowitz was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for each murder to be served consecutively. He was ordered to serve time in, in Attica, Correctional Facility, and upstate New York Supermax prison. Despite prosecutors' objections, the terms of Berkowitz guilty plea made him eligible for parole in 25 years. Retraction of claims of possession. At a press conference in February 1979, Berkowitz declared that his previous claims of demonic possession were a hoax. Berkowitz stated in a series of meetings with his special court-appointed psychiatrist, David Abrahamson, that he had long contemplated murder to get revenge on a road that he, uh, that he felt had rejected him and hurt him. Well, why didn't you, why didn't you say that originally then? Originally then? You know, if that was the case. Prison life. After his arrest, Berkowitz was initially confined to a psychiatric ward in King's County Hospital, where the staff reported that he seemed remarkably troubled by his new environment. 
On the day of it, on the day after his sentencing, he was taken first to Sing Sing Prison, and then to the upstate Clinton Correctional Facility for psychiatric and physical examination. Two more months were spent at the Central New York Psychiatric Psychiatric Center in Marcy before his admission to Attica Prison. Berkowitz served about a decade in Attica until he was relocated to Sullivan Correctional Facility in Foldberg, where he remained for many years until he was transferred to Sarangook Correctional Facility in Ulster County. Berkowitz described life in Attica as, an, as a nightmare. In 1979, there was an attempt on Berkowitz's life in which the left side of his neck was slashed from front to back, resulting in a wound that required more than 50 stitches to close. Berkowitz refused to identify his assailant, and he only claimed that he was grateful for the attack. It brought a sense of justice, or in Berkowitz's own words, the punishment I deserve. Conversion to born-again Christianity In 1987, Berkowitz became an evangelical Christian in prison. According to his personal testimony, his moment of conversion occurred after reading Psalm 34, 6, from a Bible given to him by a fellow inmate. He says he is no longer to be referred to as the son of Sam, but the son of hope. Okay, all of a sudden he's become religious. All of a sudden he's now turned to religion. Um, parole hearings. Berkowitz is entitled to a parole hearing every two years as mandated by state law. Though he has consistently refused to ask for his release, sometimes skipping the hearings altogether, before his first parole hearing in 2002, Berkowitz sent a letter to the to New York Governor George Pataki, demanding that he be cancelled. He wrote, "In all honesty, I believe that I deserve to be in prison for the rest of my life. I have, with God's help, long ago come to terms with my situation." and have accepted my punishment. Officials at the Sullivan facility rejected his demand. In his 2016 hearing at Sarangok, New York, Berkowitz stated that while parole was unrealistic, he felt he had improved himself behind bars, adding, I feel I am no risk whatsoever. His lawyer, Mark Heller, noted that prison staff considered Berkowitz to be a model prisoner. Commissioners denied a parole. In 2018, the board again denied the release of Berkowitz on parole. His next hearing is scheduled for May 2020. Other activities. Soon after his imprisonment, Berkowitz invited Malachi Martin, an exorcist, to help him compose an autobiography, an autobiography, but the offer was not accepted. During later years, Berkowitz developed his memory, his memoirs, with assistance from evangelical Christians. His statements were released as an interview video, "Son of Hope," during 1998, with a more extensive work released in book form. 
entitled Son of Hope, The Prison Journals of David Berkowitz, 2006. Berkowitz does not receive any royalties or profit from the sales of his works. He has continued to write essays on faith and repentance for Christian websites. His own official website is maintained on his behalf by a church group since he is not allowed to access to a computer. Berkowitz stays involved with the prison ministry and regularly counsels troubled inmates. While in the Sullivan facility, he pursued education and graduated with honours from the Sullivan Community College. In 2002, during the DC sniper attacks, Berkowitz wrote a letter telling the sniper to stop hurting innocent people. Berkowitz made his comments in a three-page letter to Rita, Rita Cosby, senior Chicago correspondent for Fox News channel, after Cosby wrote him seeking his comment on the sniper attacks. During June 2005, Berkowitz sued one of his previous lawyers for the misappropriation of a large number of letters, photographs and other personal possessions. Hugo Hamatz, a New Jersey attorney, had represented Berkowitz in an earlier legal effort to prevent the National Enquirer from buying one of his, one of his letters. Hamatz then self-published his own collection of letters and memorabilia, Dear David, 2005, which he had obtained from Berkowitz during their consultations. Berkowitz stated that he would drop the lawsuit only if the attorney signed over all the money he made to the victims' families. In October 2006, Berkowitz and Hamatz settled out of court, with Hamatz agreeing to return the disputed items and to donate part of his book profits to the New York State Crime Victims Board. Satanic Cult Claims In 1979, Berkowitz mailed a book about witchcraft to police in North Dakota. He had underlined several passages and written a few marginal notes, including the phrase, Artist, Perry Hunted, Stalked and Slain, followed to Caliph Stanford University. The reference was to Artist Perry, a 19-year-old North Dakota newlywed who had been murdered at Stanford on October 12, 1974. Her death and the notorious abuse of her corpse in a Christian chapel on campus was a widely reported case. Berkowitz mentioned the Perry attack in other letters, in other letters suggesting that he knew details of it from the perpetrator, perpetrator himself. Local police investigators interviewed him, but they now, 2004, believe he has nothing of value to offer. The Arliss Perry case has since been, re been solved. After his admission to Sullivan Prison, Berkowitz began to claim that he had joined a satanic cult in the spring of 1975. In 1993, Berkowitz made these claims known when he announced to the press that he had killed only three of the Son of Sam victims. Donald Luria, Alexander Asu, 
and Valentina Soriani. In his revised version of the events, Berkowitz said that the other shooters were involved and that he fired the gun only in the first attack, Luria and Valenti. And the sixth, Esso and Soriani, he said that he and several other cult members were involved in every incident by planning the events, providing early surveillance of the victims and acting as lookouts and drivers at the crime scenes. Berkowitz stated that he could not divulge the names of most of his accomplices without putting his family directly at risk. <coughs> well, we all know that that's a bu- bunch of bollocks. Um, among Berkowitz's alleged unnamed associates was a female cult member whom he claims fired the gun at Denaro and Keenan, both of whom survived. Berkowitz said because the alleged accomplice was unfamiliar with the powerful recall of a 44 Bulldog. Berkowitz declared that at least five cult members were at the scene of the front DL shooting, but the actual shooter was a prominent cult associate who had been brought in from outside New York with an unspecified motive. A cult member whom he identified only by his nickname, Manson II. Another unnamed person was the gunman in the Moskowitz Bianca case, a male cult member who had arrived from North Dakota, North Dakota for the occasion, also without explanation. Berkowitz did name two of the cult members, John and Michael Carr. The two men were sons of the dog owner, Sam Carr, and they lived on a on nearby Warburton Avenue. Both of these other sons of Sam were long dead. John Carr had been killed by a shooting by a shooting George by a kill, killer killed by <coughs> sorry excuse me killed by a shooting judged a suicide in North Dakota in during 1978 and Michael Carr had been in a fatal car accident in 1979 Berkowitz claimed that the actual perpetrator of the Demarcy Lomino shooting was, was John Carr, and he added that a Yonkers police officer, also a court member, was involved in his crime. <coughs> he claimed that Michael Carr fired the shots at Lupo and Pazido. Case reopened. Journalist John Hockenberry asserts that even aside from the the satanic cult claims, many officials doubled the single-shooter theory, writing what most don't know about the Son of Sam case is that from the beginning, not everyone bought the idea that Berkowitz acted alone. John Santucci, Queen's district attorney at the time of the killings, and police investigator Mike Novotny 
both expressed their convictions that Berkowitz had accomplices. NYPD officer Richard Johnson involved in the original investigation as appinned that unresolved discrepancies in statements from witnesses and surviving victims indicate Berkowitz did not act alone. Why are the three suspects cars, five different suspects descriptions, different heights, different shapes, different sizes of the perpetrator? Somebody else was there. <coughs> Other contemporaries have voiced their belief in the satanic cult theory, including Donna Laurie's father and Carl Denaro, who stated his opinion that more than one person was involved, but, but admitted he could not prove the cult theory. Denaro's conclusion rests on his criticism of Berkowitz's statements to police as totally false. John Dale's recollection is that he physically bumped into Berkowitz outside the wine gallery, wine gallery restaurant as he and Christian Fund departed and walked to his car, where the shooting occurred. Berkowitz, in contrast, told police that he passed within a few feet of DL and Fund shortly before they entered the car. DL contends he and Fund passed no one on their way to the car, and that further that, and further that the placement of the car parked at the curb would have made it impossible for Berkowitz to have snuck upon them in the few minutes between their encounter outside the restaurant and the shooting at the car. DL thus reasons he was shot by someone other than Berkowitz. Hockenberry's own report was broadcast by network news and given much expo exposure by Dateline, NBC 2004. In it, he discusses another journalist, Maury Terry, who had begun investigating the Son of Sam shooting before Berkowitz was arrested. Terry published a series of investigative articles in the Gannett newspaper in 1979, which challenged the official explanation of a lone gunman. Vigorously denied by police at the time, Terry's articles were widely read and discussed. They were later assembled in book form as, a, as The Ultimate Evil, 1987, expanded a second edition, 1999. Largely impelled by these reports of accomplices and satanic cult activity, the Son of Sam case was reopened by Yonkers police during 1996, but no new charges were filed. Were filed Due to a lack of findings, the investigation was eventually suspended, but remains open. From prison, Berkowitz continues to assert and expand upon his claims of demonic possession. He stated in a series of nine videos in 2015 that the voice he heard was that of, a, of Sam Hain. A druid, devil, and the true origin of son of Sam. He added that it never was a dog, saying that detail was fabricated by the media. <coughs> Skeptics. 
Berkowitz's later claims are dismissed by many. Wrestling rejected his story of satanic cult accomplices, stating that when they talked to David Berkowitz that night, he recalled everything step by step. Step by step by step, the guy has 1000% record, and that's it. He's the guy and there's nothing else to look at. Skeptics include a former FBI profiler, John E. Douglas, who spent hours interviewing Berkowitz. He states that he was convinced Berkowitz acted alone, as was an introverted loner, not capable of being involved in group activity. NYPD psychologist Dr. Harvey Schlossberg states in Against the Law, a documentary about the son of Sam Case, that he believes the satanic, the satanic cult claims are nothing but a fantasy, concocted by Berkowitz to absolve himself of the crimes. In his book, Hunting Humans, 2001, Elliot Layton argued that recent journalistic attempts to abridge or even deny Berkowitz's guilt have lacked all credibility. Legacy Decades after his arrest, the name Son of Sam remains widely recognised as that of notorious serial killer, of serial killer. Many manifestations in popular culture have helped perpetrate his disnotoriety, while Berkowitz himself continues to express remorse on Christian websites. Nasa Moskowitz, who previously had not hidden her hatred, of Berkowitz wrote him a letter shortly before her own death in, 20, in 2006, forgiving him for killing her daughter, Stacy. Legal Impact After rampant speculation about publishers offering Berkowitz large sums of money for his story, the New York State Legislature swiftly passed a new law that prevented convicted criminals and their relatives from making any financial profit from books, movies or other enterprises related to the stories of their crimes. The US Supreme Court struck down the so-called Son of Sam law for violating the First Amendment's rights of free expression in the 1991 case of Simon and Schuster, including Inc. versus Crime Victims Board but New York produced a constitutionally revised version of the law in the following year. Similar laws have since been enacted in 41 states and at the federal level. <coughs> in popular culture, Jimmy Breton, in collaboration with writer Dick Sharp, published a, no a novelised account of the murders. 44, 1978, less than a year after Berkowitz's arrest. The highly fictionalised plot recounts the exploits of a Berkowitz-based character dubbed Bernard Rosenfield outside of New York of North America. The book was renamed Son of Sam. The 2016 young adult novel Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina is set in New York during 1977 and depicts how fear of being one of the Son of Sam victims affected the daily lives of people. 
The Spike Lee drama Summer of Sam was released in 1999 with actor Michael Badalucco in the role of Son of Sam. The film depicts the tensions that develop in a, in a Bronx neighborhood during the shootings and Berkowitz's part is largely symbolic. A minor character in the script, he functions mostly as a berserk metaphor for Lee's view of the 70s. As a period of amoral excess, Berkowitz was reported to be disturbed by what he called exploitation of the ugliness of the past. Other movie portrayals of Berkowitz include the Uranomel DVD release Son of Sam 2008 and the CBS television movie Out of Darkness 1985. The Son of Sam character played a significant minor role in the miniseries The Bronx is Burning 2007. Oliver Cooper portrayed him in the TV series Mind Hunter 2019. Son of Sam has been popularly and mistakenly associated with the contemporary contemporaneous sounding Psycho Killer 1977 by Talking Heads. Likewise, Elliot Smith has stated that his song Son of Sam is not literally about Berkowitz. Compositions more directly more directly inspired by the events include Son of Sam 1978 by the Dead Boys, Son of Sam by Chain Gang, and Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun 1989 by the Be- Beastie Boys. Guitarist Scott Poleski used the stage name Daisy Berkowitz while playing with Marilyn Manson in the 1990s. And the band's song, Son of Man, conspicuously describes Berkowitz. Several other rock musicians established a full ensemble name, named Son of Sam during 2000. A cartoon composite of Berkowitz and the breakfast serial icon Toucan, Toucan Sam was featured in Green Jelly's comedy rock video, Serial Killer 1992 by the name of Toucan Son of Sam, but it was later removed under threat of copyright, lo- copyright lawsuit by the, Kellogg, by the Kellogg Company. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is David Berkowitz, the Son of Sam, or the 44 Caliber Killer. I hope that's all we've got for you today. Um, a lot of information. I hope you know is you know concise and you know you can wrap your head around it. But that will be it. Um, our next episode will be Thursday next week. So be sure to look after that. I will post updates on Instagram. So be sure to follow us over there. It's our line our thine truth show on instagram so do follow us i hope you enjoy the rest of your evening day night morning wherever you are and until the next episode on thursday have a great week